All right, today we'll be reading Second Second Peter chapter 3. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it, just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that beginning was destroyed, being flooded with water. But his word, the present heavens and earth, are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come in, come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be all burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hasting the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother, Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. As also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the undertaught and unstable disort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures, to their own destruction." You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the air of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Don't clap for him. It's all right, seriously. Love, love, love Devin to death. Thankful for his willingness to read the Bible for me. Um, Most of y'all know uh, when I get nervous, I struggle with putting my words together and sometimes it really bugs me. So I asked Devin to do it. For all you mothers who have daughters, Devin is still available and taking applications. His email is thedev at live.com. You haven't changed it, have you, Devin? Oh, he changed it. 
See what happens when you cha- see what happens when your pastor tries to get you hooked up. Change it, but at the same time, thank you so much, Devin, for being willing to do that. Um, Paul hit on this at the beginning, and I, I got to be honest with you guys. This these last couple of sermons they have been tough. Um, told some of the pastor friends that um, have a group text with this morning. Um, every Sunday morning, I, I struggle with um, stuttering. I struggle with this feeling of losing my breakfast any moment. Um, I struggle with my capabilities to adequately um, present God's word. But during all this time, I'm also completely reliant on his spirit, always confident in his word and forever dependent on him to do a work in you. Not my words, him to do a work in you through the reading of his word. And guys, I got to be honest with you, over the last couple of weeks, I've been completely blown away by the comments about the sermons and everything. Some of you have taken it to a whole new extreme. Um, on week two, we, or week one, we talked about um, uh, salutes that we should, should it be given people and um, talked about how us Christians should have a salute of its own. Remember this? Well, why don't you look what somebody did? Check this out. Jennifer told me she said she didn't want me unbutton my shirt in front of everybody, but guys, all I'll say is take it however you want to, okay? Absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. We're gonna uh, got one back for you, brother, here in a little bit. No. All honesty though, guys, let's be real. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough living in the times that we live in. We never expected things to get to this degree. But one thing that I know every one of us struggle with is a desire that is deep down in every single one of us. We don't talk about this desire. We don't acknowledge this desire, but this, do- this desire is present in every one of us. And that desire is simply to be accepted. Every single one of us want to be accepted. We want to be accepted for who we are. We want to be accepted because it shows that we have value. And rejection is one of those things that we really don't like a lot. Today we're going to talk about the difference between perseverance and popularity. Completely opposite things, but are equally present in today's time. We all struggle with the, with the feeling of wanting to be popular. I love it when parents say, well, I don't struggle with that anymore. Yet you'll remodel your house, you'll wear clothes, or you'll buy a car suitable to what everybody else thinks. Teenagers, listen to me. You're not the only one who struggles with popularity. Your parents struggle with it too. On a daily basis, we all have this desire to be accepted. And you know, sometimes it can get over women. But this can be extremely tough, especially when it comes to the things of our faith. When it comes to the things of our faith, the whole aspect of being accepted, it's a huge thing to us. It's why most people do not evangelize. It's why most people do not talk about their faith. It's why most people don't even share their faith outside of a church circle. Because we want to be accepted. And I know some of you are thinking, Scotty, that's not so. We live in the Bible Belt. 
The Bible Belt is actually proof for this desire to be accepted. Over the years, we have developed a culture, a culture of Christianity in the South that is not present in the North. For years and years and years, when people move to the South or when people move to Blairsville, they are told, if you want to fit in in this community, what's the one thing you should do? Oh, wow. Go to church. See, we all know that. That is present in our minds. We know that because of where we live. Not only go to church, go to Sunday school, sing in the choir, give your money, do good things. These are all cultural aspects that we have to battle. And let's be honest with you. Let's be honest with each other. Sometimes, sometimes we still battle with this thing about being accepted, even in here. I find it funny how Sometimes somebody can be missing for a little bit of time and I'll call them and the first thing they come up with is, man, I'm sorry I ain't been there. My, pre- my reason for calling them is not because I want to shame them for not being at church. My reason for calling them is because I'm genuinely concerned. But there's still that desire to be accepted there. So let me ask you something. What do we do? How do we react to win this type of cultural acceptance is not present anymore. How do we carry on? So what if this mindset, this avenue of culturally being accepted in our area doesn't exist? What do we do then? What we don't realize is when Peter is giving this address to the readers, he's addressing them at a very similar time than what we are right now. They're living in a pre-Christian era. We're living in a post-Christian era. And when Peter was giving this address to the people, whoever's reading this at this time, things had not got to their toughest yet. We talked about this when we were digging into the, where we got the Bible, how Right after these books are written is when the persecution really starts hitting the church. This is when Rome catches on fire. This is when Nero starts blaming the Christians for starting the fire. So the persecution really hasn't really hit the church. But at the same time, being a part of this way, being a part of this following, it wasn't the most popular thing at this time. And that's why he says exactly what he said. Right there in 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter is addressing the people with an extremely similar situation. Pre-Christian, post-Christian. There's a lot of similarities. But there's one thing you need to realize. Things have not got as bad as they are going to get. That's troubling for us. That's troubling for me as a dad. That's troubling for you as grandparents. That's troubling for you as young couples who are just getting married and having the aspiration and dreams of having kids. To think that things are not got as bad as they're going to get yet really brings some hurt to us. And that's why Peter is writing this in chapter 3. Before we dig into this scripture a little bit, I want you to join me in prayer though. Father, Just like I told my brothers this morning, I am so dependent on you right now. I am so confident in the word that I have before me. 
and I am so thankful for the copy of it that I have. But this morning, Lord, as I strive, as I try my best to expound upon this scripture, I just pray, Lord, that my words are not the words that are heard. I pray that the words of this scripture is what is heard clear. Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit right now to be not only present in this place, but to be working in the hearts of every man, woman, and child that is within earshot of my voice right now. I pray for the ones that are online with us, Father. I'm so thankful for the technology that we have today. But Father, I pray right now that you would just help us to dig into what your word has for us into this time that we're fixing to go into. Father, we love you. We're thankful for you. And now we ask that you do what only you can do. Draw your children to yourself. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In verses 1 and 2, Peter is bringing out a, a reminder that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. He says, This is now, beloved, the second letter that I am writing to you, which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand, that you should remember the words of the prophet, that you should remember the words of the law, that you should remember everything that has already been taught to you or told to you about God through his scripture. We talked about this in week two, about how we need to be able to know that we have an accurate copy of the word of God that we can hold on to. He also reminded us that we need to pay close attention, close attention to what the prophets are saying. Last two weeks ago, we talked about how some people say that there's certain things that Jesus doesn't talk about in the Bible. And when you actually say that, you are actually nullifying who Jesus really is. We believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're not three separate entities. They're just three entities that create one God. They're not three different parts. They are all God. Amen. God the Son, God the Father, God the Spirit. They all exist at the same time. They don't exist apart from one another, and they don't exist all alone in themselves. They are each all present. So if the Word of God is the inspired Word of God, so to say that Jesus said nothing about things such as homosexuality, to say that Jesus really didn't talk a lot about divorce, to say that Jesus really didn't talk about all these issues of drug abuse and things that we deal with today, that's a lie. Because Jesus spoke this word. Jesus is the word. So don't nullify who Jesus is. We don't realize we're doing it. We're, we're actually taken away from our argument. The Bible is trustworthy. The scripture talks about things of our culture. But the reason that Peter is really hitting on this is what's found there in verses 3 and 4. He says, know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking. Because that's what mockers do. Mockers mock. Some of your translations say scoffers. What do scoffers do? Scoffers scoff. But listen to what they say. It says, following after their own lust, they're following after their own desires, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For every since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it has from the beginning of creation. One thing you need to observe right here, real clearly, 
is that every mocker, every scoffer has been exposed to the truth. Every mocker, every scoffer has been exposed to the truth. In Sunday school, we've been talking a lot about this and as we're digging through Genesis or Romans, about how all of us are without excuse. And this is just reiterating what Paul is saying in Romans. Peter's saying the same thing. They have heard the truth, but because of the desires that are in their heart, what did they do? They snuffed it out. But let's look at this a little bit deeper because I want you to really look at what they're saying. They ask, where is the promise of his coming? A lot of people don't realize it, but the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, coming for his church, coming for his people, is just as much a part of the gospel as the death, burial, and resurrection. Matter of fact, if we just preach on the death, burial, and resurrection, there is no hope of a coming of him to come get his children. And the thing that we don't talk about a lot of times is while we're in this journey, while we're in this world, this world is not our home. We heard it in one of the songs today. And that God is coming to bring his children to himself. This is not our home. This is a temporary dwelling place to where we are given an assignment for now. But these scoffers, they obviously know. They obviously know the truth. But for some reason... Their hearts have got hardened. The scoffers go on to say right after that. And look closely at what they say. For every since the fathers fell asleep, or our ancestors, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. I'll ask you a question. You ever have those days to where Everything is just going good. You know what I'm talking about? No problems whatsoever in the world. Now, let's not, let's not, we all have problems. But honestly, when you look at it on a broader scope, our problems are real minimal. Most of us all have the same situation. Almost everyone in my, in the sound of my voice, you have a job right now, right? Most of you, in the sound of my voice, you have a home right now, or you're building a home right now, or you're getting ready to build a home right now. Most of you, within the sound of my voice, evidently you have a car or internet because you wouldn't be able to hear my voice if you didn't. Most of you right now, your kids, your children, they're doing pretty well. Most of you children, your parents, they're doing okay. But in all honesty, all honesty, things are going pretty good right now, aren't they? No matter how chaotic and crazy this world may seem, let's just be honest. We really don't have any problems. We have issues, but we really don't have any problems. And sometimes when we get in this error, when we get in this area of life to where we really don't have no problems, you know what we start to realize? Well, maybe I don't need God as much. Around the 18th century, a mindset started digging in that has caused to some very toxic situations in the society that we live in today. About the 18th century, we come into an age called the age of reasoning. 
And in this age, people were enlightened to what really is held in their heart. You know what? If things are going good, if things are going great, I really don't need a God. This gave birth into another, de- another bad age, an age to where we valued science more than anything else. Matter of fact, if we couldn't scientifically explain it, it could not have possibly happened. Now we're fixing to go into a, another time, another age, to where we don't value reason. We don't, um, that's obvious. We don't value science because my truth is my truth. And how I feel is how I feel, no matter how I feel. We're going into an age of honest stupidity. I hate to say it that way. There's no other way to call it. But when we get comfortable, when we get relaxed, we get into this era of our life to where we honestly think that we don't need God. How do you know, Scotty? How do you know that we're getting to get, how, how do you know, Scotty, that we're getting to this point? In 2019, the number of Christians versus the number of non-Christians for the first time in history, for the first time since Christ come, swapped. You realize now we're the minority? You realize now our values, our beliefs are on the other end of the spectrum? Even in the Bible Belt, this is true. Even in what we call the Bible Belt, this is true. And why is this? Well, I'll be honest with you. I think it's because we've got a pretty good life right now. And when we got a pretty good life, we don't need God. And when we don't need God, we pray less. When we don't need God, we assemble less. When we don't need God, we read less. When we don't need God, we depend less. And when we depend less, our faith, our faith becomes useless. Now, I'm not saying these scoffers, I'm not saying these mockers were at one point in time believers. But there is one thing I can say for sure. They knew the truth. They knew the truth, and they were throwing the truth back at other people's face. How do you handle this? How do you handle this when scoffers scoff? How do you handle this when mockers mock? How do you handle this when people ask for evidence of what you believe? And I'm going to be honest with you guys. There's times, there's times even in my life, moments of weakness that I have. And I'll just say, God, is this really it? Is this really how it's supposed to be? Is this real? Is this true? God, why is it sometimes when I pray, I don't feel like you listen? God, why is it that if my life is supposed to be more abundant, why is it that it feels like less right now? God, why is it that I prayed and prayed and prayed for my grandmother to be healed Yeah, now she lays in a grave. 
God, why is it that I see all this turmoil going on around us, but yet I feel like you don't even care? God, why is it? Why is it, God, that the good suffer and evil prevails? Why is it? Let's just be real. At some point in your life, I promise you, if you haven't already had these questions, you will. And some of you may be wrestling with them right now. Why does a loving God allow hard things to happen? Why is a good and gracious God even allowing this world to go forward? And in this scripture, we don't see the answer all the time. But he gives us the answer right here. Very clear. Let me read on for you right there, verses 5 on through 9. For when they maintain this, or when they deliberately forget this, some of your translations will say, it escapes their notice that by the words of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of the water by water, though which the world at this time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. You know, when I read this the other day, a little hang-up come to mind. You know, context is important to me when it comes to God's word. And I hear a lot of people talking about revival fire. The scripture speaks nothing of a revival fire. Matter of fact, the scripture speaks of fire destroying things. And I know some of you are thinking, well, Scotty, what about the tongues of fire? That was a passion. When Paul told Timothy that he's trying to stir up the flame that is within him, that's the passion for God. But the rest of the time, when we hear of fire in the Bible, it's not a good thing. Yeah, it draws people. It draws people. Let's be honest. We see a fire, we're going to go to it. A couple of weeks ago, months ago, when the fire happened in town, I thought First Baptist was on fire. You know what I did? I run. I run to it. I drove to it. Not to watch it burn, but I mean, I ended up watching it burn. Not First Baptist, but the other building. But there's just something drawing about fire, isn't there? But don't miss this. What does fire do? Destroys. Well, what about Elijah? When he calls down the fire. Well, I'm glad you said that because there was an altar right there. There was an altar right there and there was a calf on that altar. Not only that, there was water dumped onto that altar multiple times. And that fire that was called down, called down, what did it do? It devoured everything. It devoured the earth. It's not a good thing. So when you hear these people talking about send fire down God, realize what they're really, they don't know what they're saying. It's not a good thing. Send fire down, that's what he's talking about right here. The second baptism of fire, that's what he's talking about right here. And I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom, but I'm tired of people taking God's word out of context. Fire draws your attention. You see a fire, you're going to be drawn to it. Be cautious when people use fire in context of God's word as a good thing. It's never a good thing. It's a destroying thing. 
And God has this world reserved for what? Fire. Be cautious, guys. Be cautious. A lot of people who will sell you a lot of goods. And when you get them home, you find out they're rotted. Said, but in verse 8, it says right there. It says, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. That with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years like one day. What Peter is trying to tell to the writers here is something that we're not very good at. He's trying to put into mind an aspect of patience. How many of you are patient? None? None are patient? Let me ask you something. How long is too long? Is five minutes too long? It is at a fast food restaurant, isn't it? Is one hour too long? It is at a sit-down restaurant. Is 15 years too long? I think it is for education, but that's just me. Is 30 years too long? Well, in a way, yeah, 30 years can be a long time. But at the same time, I can remember back just celebrating my 44th birthday. Yesterday I was 12. Time, guys, is a complete aspect that we really don't understand. And what the writer is trying to tell, tell us here is, he's trying to remind us that we are on God's time, not vice versa. We're on God's time. He's not on our time. Our time is nothing compared to his time. He exists in this time, that time, and in the past. He exists here, now, there, everywhere. So for us to understand what's being said here and what we're going through in this present time, I'm going to be honest with you, it goes beyond us. But look what else he says there. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards who? We miss this. We miss this. We miss this. God, why are you allowing this situation to take place in my life? How would you feel if God just come back and said, because I'm patient with you? How would that settle with you? How does that resound in your gut? God, why are you letting me go through this situation? God replies, because I'm patient with you. God, why did you allow this to happen in my family? Because I'm patient with you. God, why did you allow me to go through that job loss? Why did you allow me to go through that divorce? Why did you allow me to go through that miscarriage? God, why did you allow me to go through all these things? And his response is, because I'm patient with you. It don't set well, does it? It doesn't set well when we think higher of ourselves than we really should. What do we all deserve? 
death. What should be, honestly, what should be our destination for the sins that we've committed against God? Hell. But what is offered to us? Grace. See, I think we forget how wicked, how nasty, how vile, how undeserving we really are. God, why did you allow this to happen to me? Because I'm patient with you. And I'm changing you into something that you could never be on your own. I'm doing a work in you that you never could do by yourself. I'm allowing you to go through this time, through this tribulation, through this trial for a very reason. Because I'm creating in you an image of my son. And I am creating that image so other people can look on that image and say, wow, look at what God did. Not look at what Scotty did. Not look at what Tommy did. Not look at what Paul did or Brian did or Jerry did. Look at what God has done in their life. The next time you find yourself in one of those situations to where you're asking God why you allowed this to happen, I want you to repeat these words with me. God's not done with me yet. God's not done with me yet. God's not done with me yet. He's working on me. He's building me. He's growing me. But there's something even far beyond that. Because I know there's times where we're all thinking, God, shouldn't you be coming back? Shouldn't you be coming right now? Shouldn't you be returning? Even so, Lord, come Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. But don't miss this point either. Because not only is he patient towards you, but he's not wishing that any to perish, but all to come to what? Repentance. Not only are we going through these times because God's not done with you, but God's not done with others either. How many of us have watched people walk away from faith? Any of y'all ever done that? I've seen it. I've got friends. I've got a pastor friend who, quote unquote, walked away from the faith. Now, me and him have a lot of talks. Me and him have a lot of arguments. Me and him have a lot of strong conversation. And you know the reason we have that strong conversation? Because I know he really hadn't walked away. I know he's hurt. I know some things happened in his life that he didn't see should have happened that way. And it's caused his faith It's caused his belief. It's caused his desire to kind of fade away. I'm going to be honest with you. When it comes to people who scoff, when it comes to people who mock, when it comes to even people who say that there is no God, you know what I've discovered? 90% of them, 95% of them, It's not that they don't believe that God exists. 
The fact of the matter is, they're just mad at some things that went down the way they went down. And there's some of you that are probably in that same way. And we've got to guard against this. Because just like Job's friends tried to lead Job astray and say, why don't you just turn your back on God and say, forget him. He's forgot you. We're entering a time, it's already present, but we're entering a stronger time to where that's going to be the sentiment. Scotty, why do you even bother getting up there every Sunday and preaching? Most don't listen. Most don't hear. Because he's not done with me yet and he's not done with you yet. Tommy, why do you get up every Sunday? Get up here. Sing your heart out to God. And these people sit here with blank faces. Because he's not done with you yet. And he's not done with all of us yet. Paul, why do you get up on Sunday? Or Brian, why do you get up on Sunday mornings? Go in there with the youth group. Who, let's just be honest. Most of them probably fall asleep. But why do you do that? Because he's not done with you yet. And he's not done with them yet. Why do we do the things we do? Because he's not done with us yet. And he's told us to hold to, what did it say at the beginning? What we've been instructed to do. Why should we hold to the gathering? Because we're called together. Why should we hold to the faith? Because it's what steers us to God. Why should we hang on to hope? Because this world is not our home. Why should we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ? Because what this world offers is nothing but a counterfeit. Why should we have joy in the middle of tribulation? Because God loves us so much that he allowed us to, en to embrace the love that his son showed for us on the cross by dying the death that we should have died. You see, brothers and sisters, we're going to be tempted. Popularity or perseverance? And here's what bothers me the most. There will be a lot that will choose popularity. For many years now, Christianity's been the popular thing. Let's just be honest. It's been the popular thing in the United States. But I want to ask you a time for a real question. How popular was it when Jesus was here? How popular was it after Rome burnt to the ground? How popular was it in the first 300 years? So why do we really think it's going to be popular now? A lot of people are upset, and I'm with you too. Scotty, why is it that people don't come to church anymore? Scotty, why is it that people don't read their Bible anymore? Why is it that people don't pray anymore? And I'm going to be honest with you, I get it. But at the same time, can I share something with you? I'm glad this cultural Christianity is dying. Because 
It is a false gospel. You come to church, you're good. You read your Bible, you're good. You pray, you're good. It's not the case, brothers and sisters. So what's it all about? It's about abiding in him and allowing him to abide in you. Tommy? I know I've hit on a lot. And I know there's probably a lot that a lot of you are struggling with right now. Some of you may be dealing with that problem of, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? And I want to say something to you. Because a lot of people will tell you otherwise. A lot of people will say you shouldn't question God. You ever read Psalm 30 through 70? David does a lot of questioning with God. And this morning, if you are in that situation, I challenge you. Sit down and have a real conversation with him. Sit down and read the Psalms. Read when David is just pouring his heart out to God. Where are you, God? What are you doing? And yet God calls him what? A man after his own heart. I invite you to have that conversation with God this morning. Maybe you're not, maybe you still just don't understand this whole thing of why you're going through these things. I invite you to have that conversation with God to find out why he's being patient with us, to why he's being patient with others. For some of you, you may be battling with perseverance versus popularity in a whole different way. Again, I invite you to have that conversation with him. Whether it's in the altar, in your seat, or with the person right next to you, I invite each and every one of you to have a real, honest conversation with God about why he is patient with you. It's a humbling talk. And I pray you'll have it. Father, this morning, your word, it's all we need. Your spirit, it's all we need. Your presence, it's all we need. So this morning, Lord, however you're leading your children, draw them to yourself. Allow your word to work, not only now, but even as they walk out the door. Draw your children to himself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning as we stand, as they sing, why is God patient with you? What's he trying to change in you? Ask him.